He sent forth his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Psalm 107 verse 20. The message you're about to hear is a straightforward, down-to-earth and insightful teaching by Adelaide Heward-Mills. Adelaide serves under her husband, Bishop Dag Heward-Mills, as a pastor at the Lighthouse Chapel International. Adelaide is a handmaiden of God and is privileged to have been used by God to pastor and to speak the Word of God, both nationally and internationally, to all ages and gender. She has a plethora of messages on many issues, experiences, and situations of life from God's perspective. Get ready to be transformed as you listen to this message by God's anointed handmaiden, Adelaide Heward Mills. The engrafted word of God, which is able to save our souls. I pray that by this time that we spend in your presence, our relationships will be healed, our homes will be healed, good things that have been lost will be restored because of your counsel. For Lord, your words that you speak to us, they are spirit and they are life. Let spirit go forth as I speak. Let life go forth. Holy Spirit, anoint this vessel of clay. And let that for which God has purposed this meeting to. So I hope that that point is sinking home. God shared his vision concerning his creation. Okay, so it is important that you communicate your desires, your hopes, your vision, whatever it is. Now, what are the kinds of communication? There's informal and formal. Like sometimes you are in an office and there's a correspondence or a circular. And usually formal communication is communicating only that which is important. So the communication you get in your office is about only that which is important. It's not about, hey, your dress is nice, or it's serious business. You know, all staff should report, all staff should make know that from today, the policy in the company has changed, all staff, so that's formal. And some of us have so much informal mode that even in our marriage, we send circulars and things that spouses must comply with. So it is a formal communication. But it should not be your modus operandi throughout your life that you know you are, you are great. You, you are seated on a throne, even if you are sometimes a woman. So everything is formal. And usually it's a sign of the breakdown of the relationship. Okay? But communication doesn't apply to only those in... Uh, uh, Form, uh, formal relationships or marriage or going to be lavedos for the purposes of this evening it may zero in around that but we need communication everywhere okay so informal and formal so we have formal and many relationships degenerate into formal for instance in Esther chapter 4 verse 10 to 11 when Mordecai was saying Esther just go in speak to the king, persuade him to do this and that. Esther said, I am a wife. But then there's also some protocol in the palace. And the fact that I am a wife does not take away the protocol or the formality. So sometimes you may be married, but depending on the situation and the... Um, the, the, um, not ambience, the environment or what is happening, you may need to go on the former road. For instance, if my husband is a pastor, which he is, and so many other things, if he's a prophet and he's having a meeting and I'm at the meeting, I am supposed to flow with protocol. I can't just say that, oh, we're discussing this at home. Are you not the one I ate kelewile with? So, and Esther recognized that. So then she said that in Esther 4, 10 to 11, Esther spake unto Hattak and gave him commandment unto Mordecai that all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know, do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, 
shall come unto the king, into the inner court, who is not called. There is one law of his to put him to death. Amen. So we have to recognize certain settings in our communication. And you have to recognize that there is formal and informal. You cannot walk into your wife's office. She's the CEO of something that you just take off her wig and slap it because you're angry. You know? And because as for you, you don't care about formal. No. The setting is important. And Esther said, there is one law which applies to me also, even though I am Queen Esther. You know, so for those of you who may work with your husband or may be in ministry with them and there's a meeting in the office and because you are angry with him or in church, you have an attitude, you are sitting sideways and as he's preaching, your face is directing the preaching and you are saying, <laughs> you have to recognize that you are in a setting of formal communication. And you cannot misbehave. And so also goes for the men. You know, sometimes you correct your spouses in the wrong places. You tell them off in the wrong places. And things that you may not tell your employee. You will tell your wife, you know. One lady came crying to me and told me that her husband was in the office and the PA was working. And she came, she's also an employee to get something from the office. And then the husband turns and tells the PA, oh, you should rather be the uh, Mrs. Rumpelstiltskill, not this one. I mean, it's an office. If you have a problem with your wife, not in that, and the communication, that informal communication is not needed in the formal setting. Please, am I making sense? You know, so we, we also correct our spouses in the wrong places. Sometimes a former said to you, are going to where she asks her, say, hey, now what have you worn? Is it a jumper in front of everybody? It's a formal set, you can't do that. So then the kind of communication is often informed by the type of setting. And Esther knew that. She said that before the king is approached, she didn't even say before Ahasuerus is approached. So some of the places you may not have to use your husband's first name. We know you'd be quite aquasi, aquasi, hey. Now we'll go in It's an office. It's an executive meeting. I mean, come on. Amen, ladies? Amen. <laughs> and Esther says here that whoever must come into the inner court who is not called will be put to death except the king holds his golden scepter out to you. So, Later on, you find that when Mordecai has put sense in her head that, look, you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this, so put your act together. And she goes to the king. First of all, she makes sure that she's well-dressed to come into the presence of the king. Amen? Amen? You cannot come to the office with your nighty and say, I didn't know. It is communication. Your, your, your way of behavior is also communication. And the way you carry protocol is important. Amen? And then when she came, she stood where the king could see her. And then when he stretched out the golden scepter is when she walked into the inner court. So your relationship should not debase or denigrate your partner and his standing in whatever he is doing. Amen. I have known of ministries when the pastor is angry, they sit on stage. So when he's angry, then he moves his wife's chair down. Then when he's happy, he brings it back. And I said to the wife, but why do you even want to be on this stage? Me, I feel that even stage, your worship cry is artificial. So come down. I've come down. I've found a chair by the choir. That's where I sit. The last time he was angry, he removed that to the back. It is informal communication by action in a, a, a formal, informal, in a formal setting. And it is not acceptable. Okay? So please, let's learn it. I'm sure that point has gone home. So that's also a mode of communication. All right? Then we have informal. 
I said formal, right? And then informal without some protocol. Some of the protocols are not necessary. And that is when you are really relaxed. Sometimes and often at home, you are very, very relaxed, you know. Your husband is wearing what he will wear, and most of the brothers, you don't seem to coordinate your colors at home. Your top doesn't match the down, you know? And you are sitting there with it. Sometimes I ask my husband, I said that, okay, you say that the sisters, they don't dress at home, but you to what you have worn. The top and the bottom, they don't go. You, you are trying to kick back or say something. You know? And when you are home, you may not have that formal setting. So you must also be relaxed. Some people also carry formality home. So everything is, if I'm coming to talk to you, I need a lot of protocol. You are on your throne. Your, your leg is on the other. And then your wife comes and, comes and says, I'm sorry for what happened. What exactly are you sorry for? <laughs> she should explain with diagrams. It's now a board meeting. It's now an executive council meeting. I mean, sometimes for effective communication, you have to come down from your high horse. Amen, somebody. And you, the lady, the fact that you are CEO in your company does not mean you are CEO at home. You are used to giving orders. So when you call, you say, hey, move, hey, why didn't you do this? Because you are always supervising in the office. When you come home, you are a wife. And the informal setting must come in. Amen, somebody. That's also what we have, we call, um, and also let me say that another form of communication, that is, we've done informal, formal, but there's also verbal and nonverbal. you see. But verbal does not mean nagging, ladies. Verbal does not mean fault finding. Amen? Amen? Some of you brothers, you are always telling your wife, why are you not like sister this in church? Why are you not like sister that in church? Have you married sister L before? The fact that she serves you tea at, at work doesn't mean she's like that at home. Yes. She serves you tea that she'll be asking, do you want sweetener, sugar, brown or white? Ah, that's what I She just comes to put the sugar there, boom. If I had married this, you are, you are deluded, totally. Because what happens in a formal setting is different from what happens at home. So fault finding. Amen. And so the Bible says, Proverbs 27, 15, a continual dropping on a very rainy day and a contentious woman, they are alike. So when you talk, Everybody gets tired of it. Okay, so you can, what we are looking at is verbal and nonverbal, but I'm saying that even with verbal, you know, everything we do should be tapered or affected by the word of God. Not that Lady Reverend said verbal, so you just have verbal diarrhea and you just say everything. It's not supposed to be like that. Amen? Amen. So we'll come to, I think, verbal and nonverbal communication. And then... There's horizontal communication. Horizontal, you know, when I was younger, I couldn't decipher between vertical and horizontal. But I said to myself, horizon means like this. So horizontal. And the other one is, I don't like math. Vertical axis, I, I immediately become dizzy. Okay, so that helped me to learn it. So you have horizontal communication where... You speak face to face, and you speak one to another. So in Exodus 3.11, the Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. Amen? And Psalm 35 verse 14, I behaved myself as though he had been my friend or brother. I bowed down heavily 
as one that mourneth for his mother. So he's saying that my actions communicated things as if he was my brother or my friend. Amen? So if God spoke to Moses face to face because he was his friend, why is it that you never speak to your spouse face to face? You never speak to your beloved face to face because now you are angry or you are whatever. So the face to face or horizontal um, communication is not happening. But God wants to have that personal face to face relationship with us. And so it's important that we cultivate that also in our relationships. Amen. Songs of Solomon 5, verse 16. His mouth is most sweet. Yea, he's altogether lovely. He is. So loveliness is not only for women. He is altogether lovely. This is my beloved and this is my friend. So before then, this person, his mouth is most sweet. So yes, there may be horizontal, whatever, but let your mouth be sweet. But many couples, your mouth is not sweet anymore. Your mouth was sweet when you were chasing your wife. Your mouth was sweet even when she said, you call her, oh babe, I can't, I can't wait to see you. When are you closing? And when she says five, he says, oh, it feels like eternity. <laughs> but after you get her, your mouth is no longer sweet. And if your mouth is not sweet, your relationship and your friendship is affected. Because that's what she says first. It's altogether lovely. And then she says, my beloved is my friend. Amen. So we have to aim at making our mouth sweet. And some of us have grown up in environments where everything is insults. Everything is a quarrel. Everything is a dispute. But Ephesians 4.29 says, let your speech minister grace to them that hear you. It doesn't mean that it will always be praise. But it means that when praise is necessary, it will come. But how come you never see anything your wife has done unless the kitchen is dirty? Then you say, is that when it's clean, you don't say. When she's looking nice, you don't say. Your mouth is not sweet. But when she's not looking nice, they say, what hairstyle is this? When your husband does all the good things for you, you never say. When he doesn't do, then you come and you say, you always do this. You never forget. So from this meeting, we are going to learn and apply ourselves to make our mouths sweet. Amen. In John 15, 15, Jesus said, Henceforth, I call you not servants. For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. So when your spouse doesn't know what you are doing, it's tantamount to a, a, a master-servant relationship. Amen? But, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my father, I have made, made known unto you. So when you make things known to your spouses, each to each other, you cultivate the friendship in your communication and in your relationship. Amen, somebody. Amen. Amos 3, 7, the Lord will do nothing without revealing it to his servants, the prophets. Now, I said that there are different, uh, the medium of communication. Sometimes it's words. Sometimes it's signs. Sometimes it's gestures. Nowadays, it's even emojis. Amen. So, in Esther's case, for instance, she said that if the king holds his scepter out to you, then you draw near to the inner court. That is not verbal. It is just a gesture. It's a sign. But it is still communication. And it still carries something that then invites a reciprocal action or response from the one receiving it. Amen. So we shouldn't behave as if all communication is just talking. There's a lot of communication that's not talking. And sometimes, even in the bedroom, the communication should be romantic. 
The lights should be soft. Talk to us with a sweet mouth, brothers. Amen. Don't just say, go and turn off the lights and come. We had a meeting at the Kodesh and an older woman, she was very infuriated. And she said, Lady Reverend, my husband doesn't talk to me the whole time. But in the night, he turns off his, the light. And the only communication for months on end is down. <laughs> Beloved, these things ought not to be so. <laughs> Which means turn around for those of you. Who... It's very sad. So our communication is also nonverbal. And nonverbal is also powerful. Amen? Amen? When the king stretches out his scepter, it means he's ready. And then some of you ladies too. Your husband is ready. He's stretching out his hand. He said, who is that? He's not an armed robber. You understand, but you have decided not to understand. Amen, ladies? So please, the signs and the gestures, you only understand verbal. So everything he has to say verbal, no. And even it enhances your romance when everything is not just verbal. Sometimes your wife brings you a drink or food and then you just wink, you know. My husband used to call me with a whistle. You know, there's a whistle, it means something. So try and be romantic, amen, <laughs> by communicating with signs and gestures. Your facial expression is a form of communication. Lady Reverend, why do you say that? Because with Cain and Abel, in Genesis 4, 4 to 6, Abel brought the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel, and to his offerings. But unto Cain, to his offering, God did not have respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said, The Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? Verse 8. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. Beloved, in communication, we are not mind readers. But we have to know that a face means something. So some of you sisters, you don't smile, but you want to have a beloved. That message is, you are not invited, I'm not interested in you. And I'm not interested in having a relationship with anybody. Your body language, your facial expression, like how Cain's face was, does not encourage brothers to even greet you. They are afraid of you because your face is like thunder or rain. And then when you finish, you say that God is not answering my prayer. Lady Reverend, nobody is coming. Nobody is coming. The way you make yourself... And the way you even walk, we are afraid to even say hi to you. You may say, oh, my face is not anything, you know. One of my siblings, my father used to tell her, your face is too straight. As for a woman, your magnet is to smile. And my sibling would reply, daddy, which means that, daddy, please, that's how my face is. That's how God created it. And my choleric father would say, that face would definitely change. And today, my sister is always full of smiles. She's so, her, her personality changed because my dad said, this face, we don't need it in this house. Some of you, when you cry with your spouses, your face is not good. But when you come to church and the sisters are talking to you, then you will be smiling. <laughs> then your spouse will be wondering, hey. So he is capable of talking. And also you, the spouse, read the signs. Don't always think, if he's angry, you should tell me. If he's not happy, you should tell me. 
You've lived with a person for some years. The person's body language will mean something to you. So then you come and you say, oh, I realize you are not happy. Like how Jezebel asked Ahab, what is wrong? Your face is down. You are not happy. What is it? He said, his neighbor's vineyard. I said, wait, I'll go and get it for you. That one is also wrong. But at least she was able to pick up the signs of her husband's face. Pick up the signs of your wife's nonverbal communication. She's sad about something. Then you just bang the door. You've just made your face. And you, sometimes, I'm not saying that they should hold you bondage with their faces. But sometimes the sorrow can be so deep that the person may not be able to communicate. But since you've lived with the person, you know, I think that there have been times when I can sense tension in my husband. And I've said to him, you know, just relax. Everything will be okay. But the person has not told me in words that I'm very tense or this is very, very bad for me. But you can read, you know. That is different from the people who use their moods to hold us captive. When you are not happy, the whole house is doom and gloom. When we ask you, you won't talk. Silent treatment. You know, somebody told me, Lady Reverend, that is why me, when I'm angry, I have 30 uh, plastic containers. So I just carry it to the caterer, and she cooks for me for 30 days. And I put it in the freezer. I don't eat her food. And every day I eat one, and I'm like, oh, wow. And you are a child of God. You are a Christian. And if you call yourself a pastor, I'm sorry. I said, where is love is kind? Where is it? If your wife is also angry, should she also go like that because of how you are behaving? Ah, because, anyway, I think some sense came. So it's non-verbal. You are not eating the food. You bought 30. Hey. <laughs> In fact, counseling gives you a lot of creativity. And those of you who are like that, don't use this idea to graduate. Amen? All these are nonverbal communication, and we have to watch it. When your face is like that, and you are holding everybody captive, it is not nice. Jesus said, even the hypocrite, don't be like a hypocrite. When you are fasting, you want everybody to see. It's not so. Your face says a lot. And they say body language, which means that your, your hands, your body, your walk, your, your husband says something. The swag that you go at is rudeness. Then when they say you are rude, you say, oh, it's not, it's not rudeness. You see, I had a mate, and the teacher told her she had been rude, so she should walk out of the class. And when she was going, she was dragging her feet, and she did, Shh. and then the teacher said, Agnes, and she said, my shoe, it's not your shoe, it's your attitude. It's not your shoe. If she's listening to me, forgive me my trust. Amen. So body language. And that's why the Bible speaks in Proverbs 6 about a proud look. Proverbs 6, 16 to 7. It says that the six things that the Lord hates, yea, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. So a lie, a proud look. You may say, I'm not proud, but the look is not good. And the perception is not good. So if we want to cultivate a humble spirit, an effective communication where you don't look so proud that we cannot reach you, then you have to learn things that make for humility. Amen? Amen. One of them is a soft tongue. The Bible says a soft tongue breaks a bone. A soft tongue turns away wrath. The person is angry, but a soft tongue. But usually... When my, uh, mountain Afajato rises, mountain Kilimanjaro will also rise. And then it doesn't cool the tempest. Do you understand? But a soft tongue. You say, Lady me, I said what I wanted. No. That's why marriage is difficult. Marriage is a school. Okay? And you graduate small, small, small. But sometimes you even have to come and repeat the class. So a high look. You know, they are talking to you and then you have a... Or they are talking to you and you are looking at your phone. They are talking to you and you've raised your eyebrows. I didn't say anything. Your eyebrows that you have raised, it's a proud look. Amen? 
But we can also have a humble look where you look like, oh, tell me about it. I, I just want to know, you know. And you can have a humble look like, oh, do I really do that? You know, that, oh, you tell me. Whether male or female, a proud look is not only for women. Pride is sin in man or woman. Amen? Amen. So our looks speak volumes about us. When somebody comes to your house, for instance, you may not talk, but your face may not want the person to come again. You may not talk, but your attitude. You know, my mom always says that she, when she's coming to visit us, she doesn't want anything. She just wants a glorious entry. So you have to say, hey, please, Theo. Then you have to give her a hug and, and she's happy. It's not what you are coming to give her, give her malt or whatever. It's all language. Amen. So we shall cultivate it. One of the things I have learned to my shock was I was listening to a man called Jimmy Evans. He's very good on marriage counseling. He's in the States. He's a pastor. And he was saying that when he first married, he had some issues because he had an expectation that when he comes home, his wife will receive him with whistles and bells. But that when he comes home, she's so busy with the children, and then she may not even lift her head, or she'll say, oh, so you are in, or just high, or whatever. So that really disappointed him. And I was shocked. I said, ah, I didn't know that he wants whistles and bells, so I was thinking about it. Then, my husband was preaching at first love, and I was listening. He said, brothers, you thought that when you marry and you come in, there will be a celebration. There's nothing like that. I'm like, ah. So it's not an American problem. <laughs> it's a male problem. And then I listened to Dr. Mike Murdoch, and he said, you know, there are two things each uh, gender needs. He said a man needs significance, and a woman needs security. I'm like, oh, wow. So nowadays, whether I'm doing whatever I'm doing, I stop. When the door opens, says, oh, wow, you've come. Good to see you. Meanwhile, your stew will be burning. But there's, <laughs> there's a price you have to pay, you know? And that can only come because you have the desire to be better. And that communication, you know, I would often, I'm not the type that will not mind you or will not greet, but I decided that I have to take it a notch higher by looking very excited that you have come. Meanwhile, we are all tired and we are all whatever. But if you look at that, you will never do what you have to do. You know? So I stop, I look at the door, and I say, oh, wow. And sometimes the person you are looking at is so tired, he rather doesn't look at you. But that's why the Bible says, you do everything unto God, and he is your rewarder. Amen. So please, it is important. I'm running through so that we come to question and answer, okay? <laughs> so we talked about medium of communication. I've talked about a proud look, you know. And then also silence. So I would say, me, I don't talk. Hey, you speak volumes. As somebody says, your silence shouts. And you use silence as a weapon against your wife or your husband. When you are angry or you are unhappy, you will not communicate. You will use silence. And you know that the other person has the opposite of your personality and is very bubbly and whatever. And so when she asks you, how was work? Good. How was that? Mm. And sometimes you don't even talk as if the person is a log. All that is communication. What you are communicating to the person is you are not worth anything. You are not important. You are not significant. And I'm punishing you. Amen? So then Job 32, verse 17 to 19 says, No, I will say my peace. I will speak my mind. For I'm full of pent-up words. And the spirit within me urges me on. I'm like a cask of wine without a vent. Like a new wineskin ready to burst. You are one, are you swollen with anger, bitterness, whatever, but you are using silent treatment. And it is manipulation. 
And manipulation can become witchcraft. And witchcraft is not found in only the female species. Amen. Job said, if I don't speak, I become like wineskin that's about to burst. You know, I learned this verse from model marriage. It's there under communication. So you will say, I'm not bursting. But your bitterness is seething. Your anger is seething. And also, you are interpreting things most probably wrongly. Because you are already annoyed with the person. So as she's working, say, look at her. So proud, wicked woman, rebellious woman. This, because everything is within you. And Job said that when that happens, he is going to best. You will also explode. And by the time you explode, wow, maybe your spouse didn't even know. So, oh, has this been going on? Say, when I don't talk, what do you... Please, you are not an idol. The Bible says they have a mouth, but they cannot speak. You are not an idol. You have a mouth. So speak. Job said, because of that, I will speak. So that I will be refreshed. So speaking refreshes your relationship, refreshes your partner, refreshes you. Amen, somebody. Amen. Who are the people who use silence, silent treatment? Put your hand up. And you use it to the children too. I'm not saying that when you're angry, you should look all bubbly and all. But silence, children, sometimes for months, for weeks, for days. And the person has nowhere to go because she left her father and her mother to come and stay with you. And you have made yourself a stone age man. And you are punishing her through that. Beloved, it's a seed. Oh. Hmm. God is watching us in all these things. May the Lord have mercy. Like Absalom, the Bible says that he neither said good nor bad. Second Samuel 13, 22 to, to uh, 23. He neither said good nor bad. But he was planning evil in his mind. When you use silent treatment, when you don't communicate, evil festers, and you have a lot of bad and evil plans, usually it's not healthy. If you are so angry you can't speak, go and talk to your pastor. My wife did this, my husband did this, and I'm so upset. Please talk to him. And the pastor hopefully will call both of you, and then you can vent. Amen. Amen. Hmm. Ask your neighbor. Do you use silent treatment? <laughs> the emotional and mental states of both the sender and the receiver. Okay, it's enough. It's enough. Your emotional and mental state of both the sender and the receiver affects the effectiveness of communication. Your emotional state is that you are angry. Your emotional state is that you are depressed. Your emotional state is that you are, you are feeling very bitter or you are feeling very sad. Sometimes that's not the time to speak. The Bible says there's a time for everything. So you can't speak all the time. You will speak, but at the right time. Amen? Proverbs 29, 22, an angry man stirs up strife. When you are angry... There's going to be more strife in your house because when you speak, it's just going to be tainted with anger. And the words that you speak, they are spirit and they are life. And so it's difficult to collect. You see, words are like water. When you spill it, it seeps into the ground. You can't collect it. So you come and say, oh, I didn't mean I want to divorce you. Oh, I didn't mean I regret marrying you. But for the other person, although you may have apologized, it's a seed. So we are better off preventing. So when you are angry, don't speak there and then. Because what you will say is some of us, hey, it's no good at all. Because your aim now is to, is to say something that will pain the person throughout her life till God calls her home or him home. Beloved, these things ought not to be so. Proverbs 15, 18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Amen? So we need to watch that. Now, there are other channels of communication, apart from face-to-face, -face, which are also digital in our age. WhatsApp, text, 
calls social media and we use it wrongly. When we are aggrieved with somebody, then we go and stand on social media. Today, my wife did, yes, people come and play their marriage problems on social media because I want to disgrace you and you also want to disgrace me. What it is is that Satan has employed both parties and he just has to sit back and laugh as you work assiduously for him. But what did David say when he was told that Saul and Jonathan had died? He said, tell it not in Gath. Publish it not in Ashkelon. Why? Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. To God, for the Philistines to rejoice is a big deal. He said to David, you've slept with Bathsheba, but the main issue is that you have caused the uncircumcised to blaspheme. So how the uncircumcised see things, God cares about it. So please, don't play your differences out in the name of communication in the public arena. It will just destroy your relationship more. And it happens to people who are low profile. It happens to be because now you can become a TV star. Anybody can sit in their room, take their phone, and have a press conference. Anybody can sit in their room, uh, uh, have a phone, and then they'll say cheers when they are drinking tea. Anybody? Anybody? Amen? And you say, hey, my wife. She did it. Then the, the uh, interpreter, will, uh, the uh, moderator will ask you, so... Would you say that your husband was kind? Oh, not at all. That is not how to build a home. That is not how to build relationships. That is not how to even build an organization. You resign from Barclays Bank and go on Facebook and talk about Barclays Bank. Stanchart will not employ you. GT Bank will not employ you. Stambic will not employ you. Because they don't want a person like Fidelity will not employ you. Prudential will not employ you. Did you offend them? No. But when they saw that, they saw that you were not worth any salt. Amen. <laughs> Even Rural Bank, LPBM said. Rural Bank. <laughs> Even our defunct Western Rural Bank in Takradi will not employ So don't play your things out in the media. And then sometimes, instead of communicating with your spouse, you are forwarding all your spouse's texts to another woman somewhere. And you say, Lady Reverend, I don't want to best, so I need to communicate. But your channel of communication is wrong, wrong, wrong. Amen? So communication is not just body language, words. Who is receiving that communication? That two-by-four girl that you are sending naked pictures to is not supposed to be your source of communication. Amen? I said there are elements of communication. So the receiver, who is receiving? You are telling that girl by the wayside that you love her so much and your wife for five years, you have never said I love you. And then when we catch you, you say, let brotherly love continue. Nonsense with capital N in high heels. Amen? Please, the social media space has made so many things possible. And therein lies our temptation, pitfalls, and snares. So communication, one of the chief elements was also who is receiving what you are saying. So there are certain things about your marriage, your relationship, that some parties have no business knowing. But you have sold the person everywhere. What does the Bible say? A tailbearer separated very friends. It doesn't matter how very you are. Once there's a tailbearer, you are separated. And what's the tailbearer doing? Informing, 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 informing. She's sharing the tales. And so some people say, oh, when I come to the church, they know everything about me, so I will not come because the pastor knows. Your gynecologist knows your problems. Your doctor knows your problems. Your plumber knows your problems, but the pastor must not know your problems. Why? And the devil will tell you, everybody's looking at you. Everybody knows. Everybody has failed before. 
Like my husband says, everybody has a left leg. Everybody's made out of clay. And you may not have a problem today. But beloved, life is a journey. You don't know the next junction. Amen. So don't let Satan lie to you that everybody knows your error. And therefore, you are finished. Amen. So who receives your communication? Who receives your texts? The brothers. Sisters, you don't know. You have found friends on Facebook. And now she's, he, she, she's making you angry with your wife because you have your own guilty conscience. So when you walk through the door, she has not done anything. And you are very, where's the food? Why is it this? Why is it this? Why? But it's because of guilt. It's because of guilt. Because your receiver is the wrong receiver. And you have to cut off your receiver. You have to decide who is going to be your receiver. A pastor is often a counselor. So it is natural that he will know. But even in that space, we are taught as lawyers in our ethics not to be involved with our clients. Because many lawyers, not, hey, not many, some, <laughs> before I'm taking up to, some lawyers fall in love with their clients, and I can show you some. The person has come, she's getting a divorce. She has three children. She's very vulnerable. Oh, the lawyer, he did this and he did that. I said, okay, let me take your brief. And as you are taking the brief, things are getting more. Before we know, the case is finished and you are marrying the woman. So we are taught not to do that professionally in our ethics. And it also applies to pastors. Amen. Because when somebody is vulnerable, cries, okay, take the tissue. And I say, oh, if I was married to this man, he would really care for me. Sir. <laughs> so we must communicate. But there are times when it also has to be formal. So that we don't go beyond our boundaries and get into problems. Amen. Am I making any sense? Now, we also need wisdom in communication. We need the word of God. Because if I hadn't read the word of God, I wouldn't know that a soft answer breaketh a bone. I wouldn't know it turns away wrath. I wouldn't know that it is the glory of a ruler to overlook a matter. It's not everything you are coming to solve by communication. It's not everything you are going to solve by a UN meeting. Sometimes speech is silver and silence is golden. Not always, but sometimes. But the Bible says there's a time to speak and a time to keep quiet. Ecclesiastes. Amen. Now, we need wisdom because Ecclesiastes 9.15, there was found in a, in a city a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no man remembered him. But what I'm dwelling on is that by his wisdom he delivered the city. So you too, you will need wisdom. Now, Lady Reverend, did anybody exhibit this wisdom? I'm trying to touch here and there so that we... When you look at... You see, it's not every time that communication has to be straightforward words, especially those of you who are cholerics. Because when Nathan the prophet had to come and tell David his sins, eh? He couldn't tell David directly that God has shown me that you, you took Bathsheba. You shouldn't have done that. Why did you do that, King David? It's against the word. He didn't. He came and he said, I have a parable to share with you. There was a man who had a lot of sheep and then a poor man who had just one. And a traveler came and the man went to kill the poor man's one to give to the traveler, which made me see that Sex is a traveler, and when it has arrived, it has arrived, okay? So, and David said, who did that to cheat somebody so much? That person must pay four times, and this must happen, and that must happen. And then Nathan said, that is you. And that's the only way David could get the story. So sometimes we need word pictures to communicate. Sometimes we need a little parable. Sometimes we need, you know, maybe you want to express how you feel. You may have to say, oh, 
You remember the last time when this and this happened and you felt so small at that meeting. That's exactly how I felt when you said this. You are using history and it's called a, well, a word picture to depict what you are saying. Do you see? And sometimes you have to speak in parables, even to propose. <laughs> because sometimes you are speaking in parables so that you send feelers as to whether it's going to work. So I remember my husband used to say, you know, I, 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 I had to go to England for school when the universities were closed in 1983. And then he was just my friend. And he kept saying, have, have you asked God for his will and all that? Then when I was in London, he wrote to me, you are God's garden. A garden doesn't do well any, everywhere. So you must know God's will for your life. I'm like, hey, it's true. So I started to pray about it. Then as the correspondence went at a point, he said, hey, sadly, try not to stay. Because when you stay, some people will get a heart attack. <laughs> and at this time, we are not beloved. So I'm wondering which people. But I also decide to ignore that comment and go on to something else. Then when I came to Ghana, he said, oh, you said that, uh, uh, no, he said, uh, some people have a meeting, but they have not been able to go because a special friend of theirs was arriving today. You want me to come and say, which friend? No, I will not say. <laughs> I will not say. But all those parables, and then one thing he asked me was, so if someone asked you the million dollar question, what will you say? What was the million dollar question? Oh, if somebody asked you whether you were ready for marriage, whatever, and he kept using those strategies. And I also had my answers. So my, one of my answers was, I wonder. The second one was, I wish I knew. Okay? So all that was part of the game. So over to you, single ones. <laughs> if that will help you. So that you know whether you bounce or whether it's working. All right? And then sometimes also, you don't share certain things because the person is not ready for it or cannot bear it. But don't use that as an excuse to be secretive and as an excuse to hide behind things. But Jesus said to his disciples in John 16, 12, I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. But that when the Holy Spirit comes, you will be able to bear it. Okay? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, 2, I fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto were you not able to bear it. Neither yet now are ye able. But in deciding that the person is not able, you must be sure that you don't have any other ulterior motive. Okay, and that comes to timing. The person's father has died. She has just buried her father. When she comes to the cemetery, she says, we need to talk. You see, your behavior, I've seen it. And I'm like, oh, when her father has died raw like this, you have seen her cry and everything. And she's come home and it's like, you must solve the problem now. When the person has made a mistake and has a problem, then you say, it serves you right. I hope you've learned your lesson now. You can tell me later, but not when I'm in the midst of the pain. I cannot bear it. I cannot bear it. So communication is also timing. And whether the person has a capacity at that time to bear it. That's why even when somebody dies and they call you, they attend you, you say, are you sitting down? Are you, because you can collapse and die. So communication is also looking at the setting, the timing, and the method. The method by which you are going to say is very important. Amen? Is anybody learning anything? And then finally, effective communication is normally by when you show the person the profit or benefit to the person. We are all naturally defensive. Amen? Because we are so used, most of us, to criticism that when you say something, you're not even criticizing us. You are just saying this was not good. But the person immediately sees and hears criticism. 
And because of that reactionary nature, communication doesn't progress. But everybody needs to see the benefit of what you are asking the person to do because we are all very, very, very selfish people. Amen. And self-centered. Ask somebody why you want to marry. All his answers are, she's kind to me, she's good to me. Ask the man, uh, the woman, why she wants to marry. He'll give me security, he's good, he's this, he's responsible. It's all about you. But you don't know it till you marry. Amen. So when we look at 1 Samuel 25, 17, and I'm ending with that. Now therefore know and consider what thou would do. That is Abigail, the servant is telling Abigail. For evil is determined against our master and against all his household. For he is such a son of Belial that a man cannot speak to him. When your spouse cannot speak to you, are you becoming a son of Belial? Because saying Nabal is a son of Belial because no man can speak to him. Nobody can tell him, oh, neighbor, how you sent David away. It wasn't fresh. Nobody can speak to you. When you get to that place, have you become a son of Belial? Amen. You can also become a daughter of Belial. I think that helps amen. And Abigail says to her young men in verse 19, go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal because he was not able to bear it at the time. But when she went and she came back, she told him. Amen? Amen. So when you read 1 Samuel, she also communicated by her actions. By sending food ahead, she made room for herself. A man's gift makes room for her or for him. Amen? And when she saw David in verse 20, as she was riding on her donkey, she saw David and his men coming towards her. David had just been saying a lot of good, a lot of good it did, it, did, it did to help this fellow. We protected his flocks and like he's ungrateful and all that. May God strike him. Verse 23, when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. Amen. Gestures of reconciliation. Gestures of humility. You know? When you know that you've hurt your wife so much, don't say, well, that's me. Take it or leave it. No. There are ways that your sign language... She didn't even speak at this juncture. She got off her donkey, she bowed low, and she bowed down to David. That alone was enough. So your gestures, which is part of communication, can make room for you. Amen? She fell at his feet before she spoke. What are your gestures when your wife is upset with you? What are your gestures when your husband is upset with you? What are your gestures when it's like, uh, me, I've said sorry. And even the sorry. Attitude in the sorry. Attitude, there's no humility. But it's the humble that God lifts up. But he resists the proud. So may pride go out of our relationships. And may we speak the truth in love. Amen? Amen. Abigail said in 24, I accept all blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. I know Nabal is wicked and ill-tempered. Please don't pay any attention to him. Verse 26. Now, my Lord, her choice of words. She's wealthier than David at this juncture. David is a wilderness dweller. She's not supposed to call him my Lord. But politeness and reverence is part of speaking to minister grace. Amen. Let's learn it. It's like when you are polite, you feel that it means you are nobody. No. It rather shows you are cultured. It rather shows that you are coming from somewhere good. Amen. Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands, let all your enemies 
and those who try to harm you be cursed as neighbor. So David is seeing some benefit. She's speaking about his enemies, not about herself, not about what she will get, not about how it's important that they all get good scores. But she's saying, David, I, I, I just ask God to, you know, to deliver you from all your enemies. And then she says, I brought a present. Please, 28, please forgive me if I've offended you in any way. Then she says, the Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty. For you are fighting the Lord's battle. And you have not done wrong throughout your entire life. Hey, praise and worship. <laughs> praise and worship. It's not flattery because it's the truth. But she knows that she cannot just come pleading her case. So now she starts by celebrating the good things. When you celebrate the good things in your spouse, he or she will be willing to listen to your criticism. But when every day criticism comes first, you've lost the person. Amen. Hmm. Verse 29, even when you are chased by those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in his treasure pouch, but the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. Hey, is it a poetry class? <laughs> and then she says in verse 30, when the Lord has done all that he has promised and has made you leader of Israel, don't let this be a blemish on your record. Then your conscience will not have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And when the Lord has done these great things for you, please remember me, your servant. Wow. So you know your conscience and looking at where God is taking you. Why are you going to shed blood? Your record will be destroyed. Don't do it. There are times when I've said to my children, you know, I heard that this is this, but I have my doubts because it just doesn't suit you. So my what does it mean? I said, for the person I know you are, it doesn't suit you. And then you see the person mellowing and interested in listening to what you have to say next. The art of communication, it's an art. It is learnt, and it takes the wisdom of God to end up at the right place. Always point out to the person the benefit he will get or she will get when she takes a certain uh, cause of action. And I believe that all these things by the grace of God will help us in our communication. Now, I must say that uh, 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 I don't want to deceive you that when you communicate or even you communicate well, all your problems will be solved. There's nothing like that. That's why the Bible says that when a brother has a problem with you, take it to the elders, a fault. You go and talk to a person. If a person doesn't agree, take it to the elders. If the elders are still not working, take it to the church. And after the church, treat it as if you are dealing with an unbeliever. It's just like the hierarchy of the court. If you have a case, a low case, you go to district court. That's why those people are called magistrates. You know? And when you are addressing them, you call them your worship. Okay? Then you come to the next court, which may be, let's say, the high court, and there, the second court. And there you say, you may say, Your Honor, Your Honor, yes. And then high court, you may say, My Lord. And then uh, uh, the top, you say, My Lord, Chief Justice. You know? So you have hierarchies. When your case doesn't work at district, you go to circuit. When it doesn't work at circuit, you may go to uh, uh, high court. No, it doesn't work at high court, you go to court of appeal. It doesn't work at court of appeal, you go to Supreme Court, the highest court in the land. Okay? So petition went to the high court because of the level of... So some of you, your quarrels are at circuit court, high court. Let us end there. Don't take it to court of appeal. Even Supreme Court will determine and you will still say, I don't agree. Agree on the way. And Satan will always give you a picture that things are not working, things will never work. But beloved, with God, all things are possible. 
So take it, as Bishop Kakra said, to the highest court, and that's the court of heaven. And let heaven plead your case. In marriage, there will be some unresolved issues, but you will still be able to have a happy and contented marriage. Lady Reverend, how is that? Because in life, sometimes you have sugar issues, sometimes you have blood pressure issues, sometimes you have malaria issues, sometimes you have migraine, things that last for a long time. You just control and you still lead a normal life. In your marriage too, it may be diabetic, it may be asthmatic, it may be hypertension, but it may not be perfect, but it is still a good marriage. And I pray that the greatest communication of all is with God Almighty. Because the Bible says that he does not see as man sees, you know. So all our issues, the first and most important place is the throne of grace. And we communicate with him. He said that, have no anxiety, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known. Communicate your requests. Even God, who knows everything and sees your heart needs you to communicate. Why is it that when he came to the Garden of Eden, he asked Adam, what have you done? Is he not all God, all knowing and all seeing? He does, but he needs you to communicate. And so in the same way, the greatest communicator of all is God. He gave us our tongue, you know, and I pray that you take things to him in prayer and trust him for wisdom and for all that it takes. But you can never do that unless you know him as your Lord and your Savior. We don't marry in heaven because we marry Jesus. The Bible says the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride, which is all of us, has made herself ready. And God doesn't want any rivals, so we don't marry in heaven. It is just for here. May we pass the test, and may we bring glory to Jehovah's name. Amen. Amen. It was great having you today. To find out more about the resources available by Adelaide Heward Mills, please visit at the Kodesh, North Kaneshi, or meet her on Facebook at Adelaide Heward Mills. For prayer and counseling, please call 0243-187-900. You can also drop us an email at honeyonmylips at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, God richly bless you.